Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer for the message you hear today is that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CVC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thank you for listening. The church is missing people in general, and this isn't just a uh, Madeira issue, it's an all over um, the world issue. And um, a lot of people are struggling with their faith and I was um, listening to somebody who was in this process of, of um, a, a faith crisis, you could say, and they were talking about how they, they still believe in God and they still believe that God moves and they still believe in the word of God and they weren't leaving the faith but they were just in a place where they didn't know um, where they stood with the church in general and um, you know, just kind of a crisis of faith. and. Um, so someone was asking them, like, do you still pray? What is your prayer habit? And this person said, you know, I'm really trying to figure out, like, what prayer is in my life. And I thought that was super interesting for someone who was saying, I feel like the church has failed me, but at the same time, they can't find prayer, like, what the purpose of prayer in their life is. And this is a person that was a minister of the gospel. They were a pastor at a church, and they had just kind of, like, come to a place where they didn't know where they fit. And, and to me, if you are a person that has known Christ and been in the church and you are saying that you don't know what the place of prayer in your life is anymore, then I think that's a crisis of the word of God. That you have, that that person has somehow has strayed from the word of God such that they have forgotten that Jesus himself gave us a prayer. That we should never wonder what the place of prayer is in our life because the gospel so perfectly explain it. And so that's where I'm coming from today. I, I believe that this word is for somebody, at least somebody in this room, because God gave it to me and told me to share it. And, and it's, it's the Lord's Prayer, like I said. And I think, um, obviously, the Bible is inerrant. It doesn't have any errors. But um, when we say the Lord's Prayer, it's actually, there's a better title. <laughs> I feel weird saying that because it's the Bible. Um, but it's not the Lord's Prayer as in the pray he prays. It's the prayer that we pray. So I think a more accurate term to use is it's the disciples' prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's the pray, prayer that you pray as a disciple. And I, I want to set it up, the scene when, um, when Jesus is talking about, about this prayer. And, and we're going to go to the book of Matthew chapter 6. And so many of you already know the Lord's Prayer, if, especially if you come from a Catholic background. I didn't... Um, know much about God as a child. We didn't go to church, but my grandma was very Catholic. And so I want to, before I begin, recite it together. It, whatever version you know, most of us know the King James Version. So here we go. How, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses and those who trespass against us. Deliver us not from evil. <laughs> I said it wrong. But you guys get it. That's funny. It's on my paper here. But many of you recited that, like I said, especially from a Catholic background. You recited that, right, over and over and over again. Like I said, I, I didn't grow up with God in my life, but my grandma was a very good Catholic. And so before bed every night, we said that prayer over and over again. And I will say that it is something that I always go back to. Like when I think about my childhood and I think about whatever spiritual heritage I had, that is a prayer 
that I remember. And so tonight I wanted to get this in our spirit. Why, do, why did um, Jesus give us this disciples prayer and what does it mean for us? Because we can all recite it so easily. What does it mean? Have you ever thought about that? What do the words mean? And really this is a prayer of position. It's a prayer position. See, what was happening in this time in the Gospels was that Jesus was laying out three um, disciplines, the discipline of giving, the discipline of prayer, and the discipline of fasting. This is what happens in chapter 6. He very succinctly talks about giving, giving with a good heart, giving in secret, not to do it so that everybody knows. He talks about the Lord's Prayer, and then he goes into fasting, fasting um, without putting on your sackcloth so that everybody knows you're fasting. He's speaking specifically to the Pharisees of the time. He's speaking to specifically to people of position, right? This would be like the, um, the seasoned saints in your church, the people who obviously are people of prayer, who obviously know how to do the Christian things that they're supposed to do. And so here Jesus comes, as Jesus does, to kind of flip the tables and say, whoa, here is what I'm going to tell you about these spiritual disciplines. So we're going to catch up to the second one, and that is the prayer. And um, in, in he, he is giving us to the people of um, position who have a position in the religious community. He is telling them what their position should be. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about, our position with God. And so there is, um, the Pharisees were all, like I said, they're all about positioning themselves and so was Jesus. He was all about positioning them in the right place, right? And so he's all about positioning us. So Jesus not only gives us a prayer, but he helps to set our position. Because remember, it's not just about words. That's what, what Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees. Hey, you could say as many words as you want to say. You could say them as eloquently as you possibly can. But what I want to tell you today is that the position is what matters. The position of your heart. And so we're going to start at Matthew 6, verse 5. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that this is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are, mere, are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. Now, I want to point out here, this is one of those times in the Bible that you should ask a question. Because um, here Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. He's saying, who love to pray publicly, go in private and pray. Now, the question you should ask here is, well, is it okay to pray publicly? Because the Bible says in other places, for instance, it says in Matthew 5.16, the chapter very before that, it says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus says that it's you should um, express your good deeds so that everybody can see. But then just a chapter later, he goes to say, when you pray, you should do it in private so that nobody sees it. So we should ask why here. Why does Jesus say one thing and then he seems to contradict himself? Because the truth is God never contradicts himself. Never. So we always ask why. And it's the context here. It's the heart of what he's trying to explain. And I want to just break this down real quick. It says, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. And hypocrite, in, in our sense, we think it's like um, 
you know, do as I say, not as I do, right? Um, it's like I'm going to do something and or I'm going to expect you to do something, but I'm going to do some, something totally different. How many of you have met, um, been, in, you know, family, you have a hypocrite in your life somewhere? I think we could all, only Josh. How many of you know some a hypocrite? Yes. Or, yeah, or you're the hypocrite. Wait, don't answer that question. Um, or maybe in your past life you've known a hypocrite. Let's just start there, okay? We all know hypocrites in that sense. But in this particular word, hypocrite means this. It is the, um, it's defined as to, be, as to play an actor, okay? So it's not necessarily who some, someone who does um, what they say you shouldn't, but it's someone who's playing the part but doesn't believe it in their heart. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't be like an actor. Don't just do it like you think it should be done, but you don't really mean it in your heart. Don't be a fake. Don't be to put on a front for everybody else. And so often we, we do do that, in the, especially in the church. We put on this face because we don't want to be vulnerable. That's why I love when Josh um, asked you to, if anybody needed a miracle in their life, and uh, Faith came up to pray, and I didn't get to hear what her prayer was. It could have been something so, like, uh, my toe hurts. I don't know. Uh, but I believe that uh, Faith is a very, very honest, vulnerable person. And you know what? That is very rare, you guys. Um, obviously, they're my friends, so I'm going to say all kinds of good things about them. But I promise you that many times in ministry you do not see, especially a pastor's wife, be so vulnerable to say, you know what? I need a miracle. And so I think that that's amazing for Josh to ask. And so we can't be like actors. If we are like actors in this place and we pretend like we're praying and everything is good and everything's right, then when people come into the house of God, they will, they will see actors. They will know that you are fake. They will know that this is not the place that they want to be because they don't want to be around people who are fake. They want to be around real people with real needs just like they have. And they need to see that God really does things in people's life. So um, it says, uh, so the other, other thing that it says is that um, when you pray, like, hold on, let me, I lost my place here. I'll tell you the truth. There it is. Um, I tell you the truth, um, that is all the reward that they will get. And so he's saying, when you pray, don't be like, be, be like hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. So they're praying so everybody can see them, right? Um, and he says, don't, the, that is the only reward that they will ever get. If you pray so that people can praise you, that is the only reward you will ever get. If you pray so for the, for the, for the um, praise of other people, you are limiting what God can do in your life. If you pray so that God can see you, the limitless God. So if you praise for God's um, um, uh, affirmation over your life, for God to see you, then you're opening your heart up to heaven. You're opening up your heart to all the things that God can do. But if your almsgiving, your, that's your, um, your adoration to God is only so that man can see it, then it will stop right there. And your heart will become closed to what God can do. See, you want to be praying so that God can open the heavens for you. You want to be praying because you believe that this place is a house of prayer and that miracles can happen. Opening your heart 
to heaven. And then I love in verse 7 and 8, um, Jesus kind of gives a juxtaposition here. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and um, on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. But then in verse 8, he kind of goes, this is what God does. He says, don't be like them, for the Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. So it's like this. They think their prayers are merely repeated by their words again and again. But let me show you what God can do. See, he knows exactly what your prayers are before you even ask him. Isn't that a good God? That, he, that before we even ask, he already knows. Now, some would say, well, why do we even ask? And again, it's opening your heart to what, what, what heaven can do. It's an act of obedience. It's recognizing, uh, again, I love what Josh said earlier, a spiritual, um, what, what did you say? Um, speaking spiritual affirmations in prayer earlier. I've never heard that before. But, sp but speaking those spiritual affirmations, I do receive God. I do want more from God. I believe that he will do those things. I believe that God will do miracles. I believe that God's purpose for me is more than I can ever imagine. I know, I believe that God has um, greater purposes for my community. I believe that God is going to take me beyond my wildest imagination. God knows all these things, but when you practice spiritual affirmations, you are acknowledging what God can do in your life. And when you begin to acknowledge those things, then you are opening the window of heaven to come down into your heart and to then out of your life will come the living water. And people will see a change and they will want to be changed because of those very, those very simple spiritual affirmations. Even though God already knows, even though God already knows, he wants to know that you are ready for him to move greatly inside of you. So let's go to the uh, disciples' prayer, as I have renamed it. <laughs> um, uh, and, and it's really separated in two parts, verses 9 and 10. It's focused on him. And verses 11 through 13, it's focused on us. So we're going to break this down verse by verse, if that's okay, guys, tonight. And we're going to go through each part. So in verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. There is actually a couple things happening in this very beginning. First of all, the very first word, our. Not my Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. So it immediately sense, sets the sense of community. Our Father in heaven. Not just my father, but we all have the same father. Our father, we are connected by this father. We are connected by a God that can do anything. We are connected by a God that's moving all, all in our hearts together. So our father immediately sets the tone for what our prayer life should be like. It is not an individual um, thing that we do without in, in the reference of community. And I think that this is so important in, in the age of online. Right? Because I, I believe that God can do things through online church. I do. I really do. I, think, I believe that God can move in the online church and it is a vehicle that we can use to reach people that we've never been able to reach before. But I also believe that in the online community or even when you are daily online, it is very easy to lose the sense of our. Right? And so when we are, when we are praying, we are, we are acknowledging who God is, but we are also acknowledging that the community we need, 
who the community we need is. So our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So our Father in heaven. So next, oh, let me read Revelations 21.7 real quick. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And see, God here is, set, he's again setting the, the stage that um, he, he is our God, and we are all his children, and we will be victorious. We will be victorious. Um, so our Father in heaven, this is huge. Heaven, it doesn't say our Father up in heaven. Right? And a lot of times, I want to ask you guys, I think I've asked this question before, so forgive me if, if, I've, if, if, you're, if you've already heard me say it, but um, a lot of times, or I want to ask you, how do you view God? Where is God? Think about it right now. If, if God were to be in this room, where is he? Just take a second to think about that. Where is he sitting? Where is he actually positioned to you? So a lot of times we, because of how our society has set up heaven, when you think about where God is to you, you think of God sitting on the, you know, on an invisible throne. Even if he was in the same room, you might see God, like I might see God above the door over there, sitting down, looking at me, almost in a judgment position. Almost like a judge is sitting, there is God um, viewing me like a mighty judge or um, somebody up, you know, somebody ready to rule me, okay? But heaven is everywhere. Heaven is an atmosphere. Heaven is not up in the, uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, I don't know all the things, my husband would, but, you know, like there's several atmospheres up there. He's not in a specific layer of earth, you know. He doesn't exist there and we have to like somehow reach him. But heaven is an atmosphere. Heaven is everywhere. It's where God exists. And so we are, we are trying to bring down heaven as we invite the kingdom to earth. And so God is not um, sitting as a judge, but, but God is actually sitting with us. And as we invite him into our hearts, we allow God to come closer to us. God is not going to force himself upon us. He gave us the, the power of choice. So we have to allow God to recognize our God in heaven, not our God up in heaven, but our God in the atmosphere of heaven. Where we allow God to be, that is where he is. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. You know how when we sing songs um, uh, in the name, the, um, we praise the name of Jesus. Um, uh, I can never remember words to songs. Um, what's a song with the name of Jesus? Um, there's power in the name of Jesus, right? There's power in the name of Jesus. Or uh, we call on the name of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why we call on the name and not Jesus? This actually bothered me for a long time. Why would I call on the name of Jesus and not Jesus? Like, what's that all about? And so I looked it up, and it has, it has um, significance in here. May your name be kept holy. So what is the significance of a name? And I want you to imagine back in the old times, like when there was kings and queens. And um, so think of an old movie like Cinderella. And the, a, a letter was sent in the name of the king. Right? A letter was sent with a, uh, the king's messenger. And whatever that king's messenger brought with that letter, with that seal, and the name of the king, that carried all the power of the king. So when we, when we worship the name of Jesus, or when we acknowledge the name of Jesus, we are acknowledging all the power and might and authority that God has given to Jesus. 
And when we, um, when we call on the name of Jesus, we are calling on the power that is in that name. And guess what? We also have that power. We are representatives of God on this earth, and we are co-heirs with Christ. So when we acknowledge all the power and all the honor in his name, we carry the power with that. So that's why this is so important. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. We need his name to be kept holy. Because we, what we carry is his holy name. And with that, all the power and might. May your name be kept holy because there is nobody like God. Because there is nobody like Jesus. Because there is nobody like the Holy Spirit. He is holy, high among all people, all things. There is no other God like him. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the middle. He is the first and the last. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we worship him and we, we honor his name as holy. And when we do that, we set ourselves apart. We are a people set apart for him. When we attribute to him holiness, perfection, goodness, we describe him as being free of sin. Free of sin. We acknowledge that his very life is something that we could never achieve until we get to heaven. We are putting ourselves in a position, right? We are acknowledging our position is that of his very children, and he is sinless. And what we need is a saving God. So much in there. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Verse 10, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come soon, some verses say. To pray this prayer is to say yes to God, asking you to join with them as he brings perfect love to this world, inviting those to join in him in, in eternity in heaven. Um, may your kingdom come. It, this is a big prayer, if you guys don't know. You're inviting his kingdom to come. And does it, in this world right now, we need his kingdom to come? In this culture right now, we need his kingdom to come? In our very homes where maybe things have been allowed to, to come in or, or, or um, influence has come, we need his kingdom to come. This is not a small prayer, guys. This is a big prayer. We need your kingdom to come. John 16, says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. His kingdom represents overcoming the sin that is in this world. And we need his kingdom. I don't know about you, but when I go to Walmart, I think to myself, oh, Jesus, we need your kingdom. <laughs> right? When I go to um, certain where I see all the public, I was in Wingstop the other night, and this lady came in and just like berated the, the gentleman, the worker. And it wasn't his fault. It was actually DoorDash's fault. It's a long story. She yelled for about half hour. We got to hear the whole story. But I thought to myself, sorrow for this woman. Because she was so upset that she didn't get her ranch dressing. That she thought it was justified to come and yell at this man for half an hour. I was sad for that woman. Because she did not know of a greater kingdom. Where if you came with mercy and grace, you could experience 
much more redemption from the other person than she could from yelling. And then I felt sorry for obviously the man behind the register. I don't know his history, and, and he might have messed up the order. But I watched as this woman for a half an hour berated him and yelled at him, and he tried to tell her, look, I, I, you know, I did the best I could. I, we're, you know, we're really busy. I mean, he tried to give her lots of excuses. And this man that, that was a hard worker, from what it appeared to me, I mean, hard to judge all the scenarios, but she left in, in anger, and as I walked out, I said to the, to the worker, I said, you know, he was the manager, I said, thank you for your order, I see that you're working hard, I see you, I acknowledge, you know, basically that I, I really appreciate all your effort in this time, because he was low on workers, and he was just doing his best, and he almost started to cry. And he said, I was just, like, I was just trying to help her, and she just wouldn't listen. I've had a really hard day. In that moment, I didn't tell him about Jesus. He didn't get saved there at the Wingstop counter. But I was able to share a little bit of the kingdom with him that day. And I believe that God's love flowed through me and was a healing balm to him in that moment. And what I released was heaven into that place. God through me. And so when you pray for his kingdom to come, that is no small prayer because what it might require is for you to do some things that you cannot do on your own. I am not naturally a person that would go up to somebody and say that. But I knew that's what God wanted me to do. You're asking for his kingdom to come. And with that is all the mercy and grace that comes with his kingdom. See, positioning God's kingdom, is uh, you're positioning as the best, the purest, the, the greatest answer to our culture today. It's not going to happen through any um, really awesome, you know, good message Disney movie, I promise you. It's not going to happen through any kind of um, message that is not kingdom minded. It's going to come through the kingdom of God. Verse 10, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. What does that mean? Your will be done at, on earth as it in the, is in heaven. The funny thing about this verse is like um, a lot of us don't even know what God wants us to do. Right? Um, well, maybe I'm the only one. Um, but I, I have a secure job. I like where I work. I love my church. I love to lead the people. I love our staff. But there are still some days I'm like, God, is this what you have for me? You know? Like, do you ever question his will? And, and don't you just wish that he would come down, like, maybe write it on a piece of paper or, or, like, on that whiteboard if you could just come in one day and it would, like, say your name and exactly what his will for you is? So, like, when you're praying this prayer, um, may your will be done as it is in heaven. Um, so a lot of times we just think, okay, your will, whatever it is, may it be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. God has a will for you that is beyond whatever your um, vocation is. A lot of things, times we think that our, his will for us has, is wrapped in our vocation or what our job is or like maybe how many people. Um, I almost said how many people we married. No. <laughs> Who we marry, one person. Um, how many kids we have, um, where we should live, how we should position ourselves, whatever it might be. But God's will is for you to do his 
will, which is bring the kingdom to earth and do it as it would be done in heaven. So the will of God, what he has called you to do is to bring his kingdom to this earth. And I just explained like a very easy way, being kind to people, that's one of the ways. But to bring his kingdom to this earth and do it as it's done in perfect heaven. So what does that look like? I have, I have a little list here. Um, what it looks like to, and a, a will in, in earth on earth is to be ruled by, ruled by self-interest. And heaven is to be ruled by love. On the earth, it's to be grasping at things. We are fighters, especially Americans. It's one of our greatest attributes, right? We are fighters. We, we fight for our freedom. We fight for the rights that we have. We, we scrap ourselves up to own businesses to be able to be successful. We as Americans have that very um, unique trait. We grasp at things. And then it's very hard to let them go because we have worked so hard for it. But in heaven, we release things. We release resources. We release love. We release our very possessions because it doesn't matter. The things that we work so hard for, instead of grasping and continuing to hold on to them, we release them. We release what it is inside of us. We release our time, our talent, our treasure. On the earth, it looks like achievement. I, I love to achieve. I love to get um, do the do the right thing and to get accolades for that. We all do, but in heaven it looks like giving a gift instead of achieving it. Independence. I just spoke about that. In America, we're very independent. We fight for our independence. Independence. In heaven, it's interdependence. It's leaning on God. It's leaning on. The, the work of the Lord, not saying I can do it in my own might, but saying I can do it with Christ Jesus who, does all, who can do all things. It's not being willful, willing something to happen, but it's being willing to do something. It's not with clenched fits and fi fists and closed hearts, but it's being with open hands and hearts. It's not being hard and brittle, but it's being soft and malleable. And it's not just about determination, but it's about transformation. These are all things that you can't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Matthew 11, 28 through 29 says, don't do it alone. Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that so good? It's Jesus saying those words. He could have gone with all the Pharisees and said, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You make yourself right. Get your sacrifices. Buy them here if you need them. But Jesus says, don't do it alone. Come to me. I will take care of you. Not only that, but he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for my souls. Verse 11 says, give us the food that we need. We must pray for our needs, not for our greeds. Right? We must pray for our needs, not for our greeds. So we must pray for the food that we need. Um, I was looking at this message when I originally wrote it. My, my uh, seven-year-old was um, like one, one, one and a half. And um, she would eat everything. Like anything you put in front of her, she would eat it. Salsa, lemons. Um, it, it didn't matter, like 
anything you would give her, she would eat it, and she would eat it all, and she would just constantly eat, she would never stop. It was like she was eating for like the next year. She thought that she wasn't going to get a meal again, and we did feed her all the time. Um, but, and now she doesn't, now it's, she's very picky. So we thought that, we were hoping it would last forever, but, but it didn't. So um, when it says, give us the food that we need in verse 11, or give us this day our daily bread, it's more about trusting for what we need now. That word, um, give us the food we need or give us our daily bread, is an acknowledgement of, God, I am willing to, I, I need my daily nourishment. I, I'm not going to pray for tomorrow's nourishment because I trust you for today. I'm not going to store up a whole bunch of things thinking that it's, I'm not going to get it in the future, but I'm going to trust that every day I'm going to, um, you're going to provide for me. This is very hard because it's easy to be like, um, I'm going to um, eat a lot now so that later I don't need to because I don't know if I'm going to have food later. That's not trusting in God. Right? Trusting in God means that each day you wake up knowing that God is going to take care of you that day. And that you will do that again and again. Give us the food that we need. Um, this also frees us up about all the concerns of our future. How many of you worry about your future? Again, only Pastor Josh. Okay. We'll pray after Pastor Josh. You obviously have. I think about my future all the time. But when I, when I acknowledge that God gives me every one of my daily needs, I don't focus so much on my future. Because I know that God will take care of it. And I know that the, the, the things that I have now, I may not have them in the future. But I know that I will have exactly what I need. Some days I will have extra. Some days I will be blessed with extra. And on those days, I will have an open hand and give what I can. And some days, God will give us just what we need. So verse 12, this is probably the very hardest of all the verses. And forgive us our sins as we forgive others. So I want to tell you a story uh, that happened to me a couple weeks ago at church. I'm not at my church, so I can tell this story. Um, uh, this gentleman came up to me. He, so let me back up a couple, like maybe two months ago, he came to me and he said, hey, um, I want to get a meeting with the, um, our senior pastor. I said, oh, sure, you know, make, just you can call um, our front desk and, and they'll get you a meeting. And he's like, well, I think you can get him a meeting, get a meeting with him sooner. Um, so maybe if you could just tell him. And I was like, hey, call our front desk. They'll get you set up. Because honestly, on a Sunday morning, I'm not going to remember that piece of information, okay? So I was just trying to cover all of us. And so he just walked away. Okay, you tell him. I'll, I'll, I'll expect you to tell him. So uh, the next day, I, I told my pastor, hey, this, this gentleman needed to, uh, needs an appointment with you. Um, he would like you to call him. So I, you know, I did what I was supposed to do, um, even though I didn't like it. So um, two months later, he came up to me and he said, hey, you had such a great message. I, I really appreciated two weeks ago you preached a message and it was so awesome. But, love the butts, um, but I need to tell you something. He said, I had to ask, I had to forgive you. I want to let you know that I've forgiven you for something. Can I just give you guys a tip? Like, never tell the person. Like, if you have to remind the person that you're forgiving them, that, that's not, like, forgiveness, right? That's, you're, you're just actually telling them what they've done wrong. So, so he said, um, I had to forgive you because a uh, pastor never called me. 
I was like, well, I mean, I could have said a lot of things. I said, I'm very sorry. Um, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure you, he, you had a, um, a meeting on the calendar, and he said, well, I, I never got that, you know. And it was a miscommunication. Um, but I, I said, well, I'm really sorry. I apologize, and I will let the front desk know that you would like to get a, a meeting with him again. And the next day, I told my pastor. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Forgiveness is a very hard thing because we want people to know that they've hurt us. But forgiveness is not something that you punish other people with. Forgiveness happens in your own heart first. And that other person may never know that you have forgiven them. And honestly, it's not really there, it's not necessary for them to even know. Because what God is asking for you to do is to forgive others first. Now, forgiveness is misconstrued so many times, and that's a whole other sermon, and I'm sure you've heard it preached on before. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you allow them to, uh, that you don't put up boundaries or you allow them to do it again. We have a, um, a misconstrued idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness is about your own heart and allowing the, the, the offense to be released from your own heart so that God can do the work inside of you that that offense is holding on to. And you don't want that offense to be held on. You don't want that to hold on to you. You need your heart to be released. You need your spirit to be released from any kind of offense. Because it says here, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. See, it's not just about a need. I don't forgive just for me. I get forgive so that God can also forgive me. We do it so we can be in right relationship with God. Again, when we do that, we are releasing heaven. We are releasing heaven. We are releasing the kingdom of God into this world. Forgiveness is not a common thing. It doesn't happen often. So can you imagine when you allow that forgiveness to happen in your heart, you are doing something that not many people can do. And you are allowing God to be limitless inside of you. You are, God, you are taking the lid off of what God can do. We are positioned to receive so much more from him. Listen, God doesn't tell you to do this on your own. He says, I am right here with you. And Jesus said that in the scripture I just read. I am with you. Verse 13 says, and don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, what I find funny about this verse, verse 13, don't, lead us, um, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the, the evil one. Uh, Peter was right there. How many know the story of Peter? Um, actually, if you read the Gospels, Jesus gives Peter several warning signs. Like, he tells him in a couple different ways. Um, Peter, watch out. Um, don't be led into temptation. He even give, here, he gives Peter a prayer to pray. And Peter, in true Peter fashion, doesn't get it. We need God to help us not be led into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, uh, the, temptation in your life's, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We hear this verse a lot of times, oh, God will not give you more than you can handle. 
We will not give you more trials than you can handle. It actually says that he will not give you more temptation than you can handle. And it also says he will always allow for a way out. If you are ever feeling tempted, whether it's for greed, for anger, for gluttony, whatever it might be, God will always find a way out. Me and Faith are in this contest right now. Not to eat Halloween candy for the rest of this month. You even have a little bet. She doesn't know how stubborn I am because I will not eat candy. But last night, uh, there was candy corn sitting on the table. It's one of my favorite. How many of you guys like candy corn? Come on, how many of you hate it? It's like a love or hate thing, right? I love candy corn. I could eat like a thousand of those little things. Um, but luckily, my, God provided me, my children, to eat all of them right in front of me. He provided a way out, okay? Um, God always provides a way out. So whenever you are faced with temptation, speak those spiritual affirmations over yourself. Um, God will provide a way out for me. God will provide a way out for me. God will open a door so I can walk right through it away from this temptation. He will rescue us from the evil one. I think a lot of times... Um, in this culture, we, get, we can get very lost in all the bad things that can happen, especially if you watch the news too much, right? If you watch the news too much, it could seem like the world is going uh, to hell in a handbasket, and there is no way out of this. But the truth is, God is going to deliver us from the evil one. The truth is, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and we are delivering his kingdom to earth. The truth is that we are the light of the world. That nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. So you are speaking spiritual affirmations. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. When we do that, we make a habit of seeing what God has done. And it is a faith builder. I call it, it's building the faith muscle. Like if you were building a muscle, when you allow God to deliver you from the evil, when you, when you take that step of faith and walk out of that temptation, you begin to build that faith muscle. You begin to, to, to build that, dis, that discipline. And the more that you do it, the more it's easier to walk away from it. So I want to encourage you today that as you pray this prayer, if you are dealing with temptation or you are dealing with something that you, some kind of bondage that you cannot get out of, do it once. Once. Do it twice. You will begin to see how much easier it is and pray that prayer. Don't let me yield to temptation. Rescue me from the evil one. Finally, verse 13 says, Your king, yours, uh, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The, the disciples' prayer ends just like it started. Adoration. Adoration for our very God. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We are positioning ourselves exactly where we should be. We are allowing God to be king over our life, to be the father over our life, to be our provider, to be our healer, and acknowledging him that yours is the kingdom. I can't do anything to bring, I can't do anything to make your kingdom. I can't do anything to add to your kingdom. I can bring your kingdom. I can expose your kingdom to people who need it. But nothing I can do on my own makes your kingdom any like better than what you've already made it. Does that make sense? You are acknowledging God. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, here's the promise. In Luke 11:9 it says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, 
and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find it. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And a lot of times we ask, well, God, I've been asking, and you don't give it to me. And I want to tell you that you're probably not asking for what God's very will is. See, he promises that when we ask in accordance with him, he will give it to us. And the way that we can do that is to, is to pray like Jesus instructed us to pray. And so it might sound like this. Dear Father, always near to us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth just as it is done in heaven. Give us today the things that we need. Forgive us our sins and our impositions on you. As we are forgiving all those who, are, who have in any way offended us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad. Because you are the one in charge, and you have the power, and the glory to you is, is yours forever, which is just the way we want it. You can take it even more personal. And when, I would encourage you uh, that starting tonight, as you go to bed, pull out the Lord's Prayer. You probably have it as a bookmarker, <laughs> right? You might even have it as a picture on your wall. But you know it in your heart. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. God, I acknowledge that you are the father of my community and your name is perfect. And God, when I am not perfect, I can acknowledge that you, the perfect creator, made me. And you just go down that list. Keep going. Personalize every part of it. If you don't know how to pray, this is the place to start. If you don't have the words to say, this is the place to start. And listen, even the most seasoned Christians come to a place where sometimes they don't know where to start. And I want to tell you today that our very fa loving Father, our very good Father, has created a way for you to do that. See, God is not sitting like a God on the throne ready to judge you. God is like our very close friend, our very close, um, uh, the closest confidant that you could ever have. And he is sitting right next to us ready to hear all that we have to say. And when there is nothing else to say, he will continue to sit right next to us as a good friend, as a good father, as a good creator would. So that's my encouragement for you guys today, Central Valley Church, that um, God is good. He has provided a way to pray for you. And, and in, even in times when you don't know what to do, it's right there in the word of God. So can I pray for you guys today? Father, we love you, God. We thank you. Well, God, I just want to thank you, first of all, for, for allowing me to come here today. I'm so honored, and I, and I hope I did your work well, Jesus. And so I pray that whatever may, maybe I have missed, God, that you would fill, God. I, I pray for people in this room that are seeking a miracle still, Lord, that maybe didn't come to the altar. I, I pray, God, that they would see the, the miracle that you have for them, Lord, that they would press into that, Jesus. God, I pray for this church and and that they would see um, growth happen. God, not just like growth in numbers, but growth in um, discipleship. People coming to a, um, a deep acknowledgement of who you are. God, I pray for people that might be um, asking, where are you, God? Maybe in the middle of the night they're waking up and they're asking, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't know you anymore. 
God, I pray for people in this room that they would be reminded that you are near to them, God, that you are calling to them, and that as they begin to open their hearts and release the things that they need to release, God, and call on the things that they need to call on, God, that you would um, show them that how limitless you are, Jesus, that you can do all things. I thank you for this humble church, God, that they honestly seek you, that they sincerely seek you, Jesus. Be with them today, God. We honor you, God. We love you, Jesus. I pray each person in this room is blessed um, by your word, God, and what you have for them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley,